Hey, good morning, church family. It's great to see those of you in person. Grateful for all of you joining us online. I'm reminded the large online audience we have when we have a Sunday like we did a couple of weeks ago when we had to uh, postpone worship until 5 p.m. The week before that, we had some technological difficulties and to hear from the people online saying we miss not being with you on Sunday morning. So I'm grateful for all of you who are with us. We just have one Sunday left in 2022. And as we reflect back on 2022, sometimes I know we have years. Like if I were to ask right now for some of you who were at least born in like 2011, like do you remember what happened in 2011? And some of you would have to take a moment and think about it. And others of you like know exactly what happened in 2011. So in 2022, some of you will reflect back on this year and you, there are, there are memories, good or bad. There are things that happened this year that have formed you for the rest of your life. And some of you, it's just, it, it was a year that's kind of status quo. We, we made it. But here we are today, we have one Sunday left, and some of you take time at the end of the year to reflect back or to think about next year, like what do you want to do differently in your life? And for some of you, you may be thinking about goals you want to make, or you're thinking about how you want to grow in your faith. And I want to speak just for a moment, for those of you who are trying to think of ways, like in 2023, how can you grow in your faith? How can your prayer life increase? How can you engage the Word of God? And, and for some of you, you may be asking questions about yourself, like how can you take some steps closer to God? And I just want to offer myself to you, like if there's any way I can help you in that, I want to help you. And I'm not trying to impress you with some of these numbers, but I've learned some things as I try to help people sometimes develop like Bible reading plans in their life. Like I know there are 1,189 chapters in the Bible. 929 in the Old Testament, 260 in the New Testament. There are 89 chapters in the Gospels. So for some people, they think, this is a big book. It can be intimidating for people who've spent very little time in the Bible. Where do you begin? Do you begin in Genesis? Do you begin in Matthew? So some people just begin in Genesis, and we make a commitment. This year, I'm going to read the Bible. I'm not asking how many of you have read the Bible in the year. I'm asking how many of you have set out to attempt to read the Bible in a year, just a show of hands. And how many of you made it to Leviticus and your Bible reading plan for the year died? All right, And a show of hands, just so other people know, they're not alone. And if you made it through Leviticus, some of you, numbers is what got you. Like you weren't able to, to finish through numbers. And for some people, big chunks of Scripture help. If you want to try to read through the Bible in a year, you've got to read over three chapters a day, around 23 chapters a week. And for some people, reading big chunks of the Bible, like maybe that's not what's best for you in 2023. Maybe it's smaller chunks. I just Here's what I believe. Here's what Jesus said about the Bible. Here's what Jesus said about Scripture in John chapter 5, verse 39 and 40. Jesus said this, Some people think that by the Scriptures you will inherit eternal life, but they don't turn to me. This is from Jesus. So just being in the Bible doesn't draw you closer to God. It's Jesus. Now I can say that, then also say that if you want to grow closer to God in your life, you need to be in the Bible whether it's big chunks or small chunks. And I try to encourage people, it's not just what you read, but how you read the Bible. So if you're in need of help, trying to think about a plan that will work for you, or questions you need to ask as you engage the Word of God, if I can help in any way, please let me know. This morning I want to spend time in, spend time in five verses talking about three words. So in John chapter 1, verses 14 through 18, this is where we're going to be today. And here are the three words that I'm going to focus on throughout this message. And the first one is dwell. Right? The second one is behold, or in some of your versions, it's see or seen. So the first one is dwell, the second one is behold, and the third one is glory. 
I want to talk about what it means in John 1, 14 through 18. What it means about God, about Jesus dwelling with us. I want to talk about what it means to behold, to see God. And I want to talk about the glory of God. And in John chapter 1, verses 14 through 18, here's what it says. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen, or in some of your versions, we have beheld His glory. The glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. John testified concerning him, and he cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace, or grace upon grace, and it's already been given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in close, closest uh, relationship with the Father, and he has made him known. And you may not think of John chapter 1 or John 14 through 18 as a Christmas text, but it speaks into this season. In, in John 1, you don't read about the birth or Bethlehem or even Mother Mary. You don't read about those things, but, but it does speak into God coming into the world. For some of you, we're in a season right now where life slows down. The pace is different. For some of you, it speeds up. The pace doesn't change at all. For some of you, you're thinking about the next couple of weeks, and this is a season of, like, what will be. Like, there's excitement, and there's anticipation. Family's going to be together. Either people are traveling to you, or you're traveling to people. You're excited about the days to come. You're excited about opening gifts, or you're excited about giving gifts. Maybe some of you are excited about the cold weather that's going to be upon us for days. Maybe you're excited about Friday, where there's a high of 16 and a low of 3, but it's not going to keep you from being here at 625, so you can be here early early for the 6.30 candlelight Christmas service. Do you like how I threw that in there? All right. Some of you are thinking about the next few days, and there are a lot of things that excite you. And you, some of you, you're in a season right now where when you think about the next few days, it's not about what will be or what is. It's what's missing. It's you think about death and divorce and division, and you think about family and friends that may not be together this year for some reason. Whatever the, the emotions are that are in your life as you think about the next few days and the next couple of weeks, I hope and pray that this season of Advent and just the thought of Jesus coming into this world will give you hope that will sustain you through it. Uh, I did this a, a few weeks ago before Thanksgiving, but here are five memes, because I, I really do. I hope you all have a great Christmas. And here are a few that may connect with you. If it does, just say amen or yeah or yep, that's me. And the first one is this. You see this meme. It says, 10 years old, waiting for mom to say that I can open my Christmas presents. And for some of you, you're like, I'm 40 years old waiting for mom to say, open my Christmas presents. There's one that says this in, in quotations. Okay, what's the next holiday, kids, at 3.17 p.m. on Christmas afternoon? So, the next one is this. There's the gift that my mom deserves, which is a big mansion, and then the gift that I can afford to get her, which is a small little candle. There's a meme of a dog looking, <laughs> looking into a camera. Thank goodness you're home. The Christmas tree fainted. And for most of us who have pets, we have some story of a pet with a Christmas tree or gifts. And the last one is it wor <laughs> works one day a year, spends the rest of it judging you, all right? which we often don't think about when it comes to Santa. Like, that's what Santa does. I guess the, that's what we use to, like, beat our kids into submission, right? Like, Santa, you're either on a good list or, or a bad list. So we're in the season thinking about the birth of Christ. 
In Nazareth, there's the Church of the Annunciation. It's the Church of the Announcement. On March 25th every year, there, is a, there are churches and Christians who celebrate uh, Jesus being placed inside of Mary. This announcement that came to Mary from an angel. And it's interesting that in Matthew chapter 1, you have an angel who visits Joseph. In Luke chapter 1, you have an angel who visits, visits Mary. You don't have a story about an angel visiting both. You would think it would help to get them in the same room and to talk to them about what was about to happen. In Luke chapter 1, when an angel, when Gabriel visits, uh, visits Mary, she's not asked a question. The angel doesn't come and say, hey, heaven thought up a plan, and here's the plan, and we wanted to see if you were up for playing a part in that plan, and if not, then we're going to go on to like option two or option three. She was told that this was about to happen. She wasn't asked, yet she still said yes. So is this how God may be working in your life too, that this week God wants to use you to shine light into someone's life, whether it's a family member, a friend, a co-worker, or a neighbor, and God is not asking you, God desires to shine light through you, yet you still get to say yes to it. Like opportunities are right there in front of us to be used by God. And with Mary, I'm sure she still had a lot of questions. Now we do get the question in Luke chapter 1 of her asking like, how's this going to happen? I'm still a virgin. Like, how's this going to happen? And I bet there are other questions that she had that we don't read about. What's Joseph going to do to me? What are my parents going to think? Will I still have friends? Is the labor going to be hard? And this whole thing about this son that you're placing in me, who's coming to read the, uh, redeem the world, to save the world from their sin, like, what, is, what does it all entail by this idea of this child saving the world from their sins? I'm sure she had a lot of questions that we don't read about. At the Church of the Annunciation, Annunciation I've had a chance to go there twice. And to think that you stand in a place where you're a few feet away from where this angel made this announcement to Mary that the Savior of the world was going to be born through her. And in that church, there are countries all over the world who send in pieces of art, mosaics. They have artists who create something that represents what Mary or baby Jesus may look like in their culture. So there are hundreds of these. So when you go, if you ever get a chance to go, of course you want to find like the countries you're connected to in your life. And here's just a few that I, I remember seeing. Uh, this one right here is actually from South Korea. So this is countries as they portray their image, their, their idea of what Mother Mary would have been like, of what baby Jesus would have been like. This was uh, the next one right here. The next one is, uh, this is Italy. And then I went around looking for countries that we are a part of, that, that we're connected to here at Sycamore View. This right here is the Ukraine. You get like this whole experience of what it was like, like a family together. And then you have Greece. And I want to stop right there at Greece just for a moment because most of us, when we go to a place like that, like we want to know, like, Where's the country Texas here? Like, we want to see, like, where, where's the United States, right? Where's the United States? Because I couldn't find the United States. And finally, our guide said, the United States is inside. It's bigger than any of the others, because that's how we do things in the United States, right? Like, we want to know how big are the other pieces of art, and then we want to create a piece of art bigger than that. And then the guide looked at me, and he said, but I, got, I have to tell you, and I don't want to insult you or your country, but it's not very pretty, and I am proud to be an American, all right? I'm proud to be an American. I, I love our country. I think there's wonderful things about our country. Our country has been used, like a lot of good throughout the world has happened. But when it comes to the depiction, the, like the art of marriage, here, here's the United States in the Church of the Annunciation, all right? This is, this is what Mary looks like in there. 
which makes me think, like the artist, did they think they were creating Mary or like the witch in Narnia? Like, I, what, what is, and you can do a little close-up if you go to the next one. Like, this, this is, you may think this is a beautiful piece of art, all right? But in a way, the guide was right. He's like, I just don't think it's very pretty. But there you are in this place, standing in this church, thinking about verses like John 1.14. The Word became flesh and dwelled among us, and we have seen His glory. The Word became flesh, dwelled among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son. And the glory in John 1.14 that is described is not the glory of Jesus sitting on a throne being worshipped by creatures and people. The glory described in John 1.14 is God becoming flesh. That is the glory that is seen. The glory isn't the throne of God as Jesus reigns. The glory is the earth we live on in which God chose to walk. And as that glory is seen, we are told that that glory came to dwell, which was not a new idea from John chapter 1. It's not like John 1.14 is the word became flesh and dwelled among us. It's not that you read dwell and it's like, oh, for the first time in Scripture, we read that God wants to dwell on earth or God wants to dwell among people. It's, it's not some new novel idea that you first read about in John chapter 1. Throughout the entire Bible, you get these hints and you get these moments where God lets people know, like, this is what I I want to do for you. Like God desires to close the proximity between God and people, between God and the earth. So in Exodus chapter 25, you have God who says this in verses 8 and 9. He says, Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. Like this is God saying, I want to help create for you a tangible practical way for you to be aware of my abiding presence with you because I want to dwell with you. Hundreds of years later in the prophet Zechariah you read in chapter 2 verse 10 God saying shout and be glad daughter Zion for I am coming and I will live among you declares the Lord. And in the Great Commission, in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 20, you have Jesus who says, toward the end of the Great Commission, that teaching them to obey, this is a commission given to people, make disciples of all nations, teach them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. For thousands of years, multiple times, generation after generation, God is trying to let people know this is what I desire to do for you. This is who I want to be for you. For God, in God's heart, this is God's desire. It is his pursuit. This is who God wants to be, to dwell among people, to give them his presence. So what does this say about God? And what does it say about what God thinks about us? God desires to dwell among his people. Now, in John 1.14, you read about the eye beholding or the eye seeing the glory of God. And for our eyes, sometimes our eyes can play tricks on us, just a little bit, optical illusions. And I know these pop up on social media feeds. Sometimes I saw this one pop up this past week. And it was all of these plates are flipped upside down except one. And once you see that one, they'll all be right side up. And maybe it's happening for you right now, or maybe it's confusing you, and your eye is not able to see it. But you've seen things like this before. If you go to this next image, and I just have a few up here, you've seen things like this. Like, right now, does your eye see the hourglass or two men facing each other? 
Or if this next image, and I know you've seen this somewhere, like do you see the old lady with the big chin or do you see the young woman who's looking out into the distance? Right? Your eye can do different things for you. This, this next one right here can throw people off. Like, these are, like do you see lines that are straight or not? Because all these lines in that image, all of them are straight. And then the last one is sometimes you see things and like animals that, where there's camouflage and maybe you can see it or not, but there's an owl right in the middle of this. So sometimes your eye can trick you. They're optical illusions. But when it comes to God and God's glory, God's not trying to hide from people and God didn't come to this earth. Jesus didn't come to this earth and like put on camouflage to see if people could try to find where Jesus is. But Jesus came and walked this earth, and people saw him with their own eye, but they did not see the glory of God in him. Hundreds, thousands of people saw Jesus do miraculous things, but didn't think about Jesus as representing the glory of God. So few around him seem to see it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, it says this, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Jesus came to reveal to us and to show us exactly who God is. That when we see Jesus and when we look at Jesus and when our eyes are open to see Jesus for who he is and to engage the character and the nature of Christ, we see the glory of God. We see the glory of God every time we show up and every time we lean in and every time we make relational investments. And according to Matthew chapter 25, we may just see the glory of God every time we give food to the hungry and water to the thirsty and clothes to the naked and shelter to those who need it. In John chapter 1, verse 18, it says, No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father. And it's a hard phrase to translate from Greek to English because literally it is Jesus is close to the bosom of the Father or the chest of the Father or the heart of the Father. And the promise in verse 18, which you are told, is that as Jesus is one who is so close to the Father, he has made him known. This word known is the word exegesis, like digging deep into something. So as you think about it, you could think that as Jesus made him known, it's to tell at length or to relate in full or to recount a narrative. Like this is what Jesus came to do for God. This is what Jesus came to do for the Father. is to tell at length and to relate in full and to recount a narrative. So Jesus spent his life with his eyes fixed on his Father, living for his glory, and then when we look at Jesus, what we see, we see that glory. So when we think of the word glory, we may think of the movie of Denzel Washington. We may think of somebody who is showing all of their glory. Like there are different ways you may think about glory. But here's what I want to do just for the next couple of minutes is I want the glory of God to be what takes us to communion this morning. But we're not going there right now. I need just a couple of minutes to help us get there. So it's this morning, I want the glory of God, I want glory to be on your mind as we, here in just a few minutes, we'll touch the bread and that we will touch the cup. I don't want to walk you through scripture real quick. Just showing you a few places of how the glory of God shows up and what the glory of God does. I want to show you the first place in scripture you see the glory of God. The last place we see about, about glory 
And I want the word glory to be what takes us to the bread and the cup this morning. The very first mention of glory in all of Scripture is in, is in Exodus chapter 14. And I would, I'm on the record saying, I think Exodus 14 is the most important chapter in the Old Testament. It's the deliverance of the people of God as they come through the Red Sea. The first mention of glory is in Exodus chapter 14, verse 4, where it says, here's, God, here's what God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, but I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all of his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. And why I think this is so important is that the first mention you see God talking about glory or the Bible talking about glory, it is in the context of deliverance and freedom. It's not in the context of the glory of God being represented on a throne, which is so important. It's an image you see throughout Scripture. It's in the context of God's glory doing something for people, like offering something to the world that in Exodus 14, it's, okay, my glory, when people see my glory, it's going to set people free. So it's not just looking at the throne. It's the glory of God that is setting people free from bondage and depression, oppression. In Exodus 14, verse 18, it says, The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. And just a few chapters later, in Exodus chapter 33, and verse 20, it says, Moses said, Now show me your glory, which is a, a great request to ask of God, but just know if you ask it of God, you probably need to be on your knees or on your face. When people ask throughout Scripture to see the glory of God or they see the glory of God, often they think they're going to die. But Moses asked to see the glory of God, and here's how God responds in verse 19 through 20. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I, have, I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. So God, in his grace, still chose to give Moses a tangible experience to see the glory of, of God. The very last chapter in Exodus says this. It says, The cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And in all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the, God, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted that the glory of God was about movement and travel and promise that as the people traveled, God was with them everywhere they went. And then you come to the very end of Scripture. And the last mention you have of glory is in Revelation 21, verses 22 through 26. And it says this, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of, of God is its light, and its light is the Lamb. And in verse 24 it says, The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. And on no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory, last mention of glory in the Bible, the glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. At the very end of Scripture, the glory of God is shining light on God redeeming all the nations and ushering them into heaven forever. So when you think of the word glory, we think honor, respect, distinction, importance. 
And we're told that Jesus came. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Like through Jesus, we have seen the glory of God. And here's what Jesus chose to do with His glory. In John chapter 12, in verse 23 and 24, and I want these two verses to stay on the screen as we go to take the bread and the cup this morning as a church. Here's what Jesus said. He said, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. When Jesus was given an opportunity to do with his authority whatever he wanted to do with it, when Jesus was told of his assignment, Jesus, his, his, the way he interpreted, the way he defined glory wasn't of how can I put myself in a place where people want to take pictures of me and I can take selfies of my greatness. It was he chose to be glorified. And his choice to be glorified meant his body being ripped apart. It meant him taking on the weight of the sin of the world. But then what Jesus says in verse 24 is, Very truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Because Jesus knew that his glorification would mean salvation, life, and redemption for all people. We get to bear the fruit of Jesus' obedience and glorification. So as we go to the table today and we take the bread and the cup and we have a time of prayer, think about Jesus being glorified. The fruit that comes from it. And for you, let prayers flow from you today of what this means for you and how you respond to it. So Casey, if you don't mind, I know you're the prayer uh, leader over on the right side and Laura Moore on the left. Stoney Ramsey, one of our elders, is up here to my right. I forget who our elder is in the back, but we'll have one of our elders in the back. I'll be over here to the left. And if there's any way we can pray for you, for your eyes to be open, to see and to witness and to behold the glory of God, we would love a moment just to speak a word of blessing over you. And as a church, just as God chose to place part of himself in a tabernacle that would move with the people everywhere they went. We move over the next few minutes as a reminder that we are not a church that stays still. We're a church that moves with God. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads. And God, may these words go deep into us today that the word became flesh, dwelled among us, and we have seen his glory. And Jesus, just as you promised years ago, right now in this meal today, through the bread and the cup, may we remember you, and through this, will you make the glory of God known for us. Unpack it for us. Open our eyes to see it, to experience it, to know it, to respond to it. In this moment, open our hearts, transform us, and send us out from this place to be people who are on a mission. Through Christ we pray. Amen.